1: and how they steer clear of Uncle Sam.
0: Hi, everyone, and thanks for tuning in. Brandon Hall and Thomas Costelli here today with Brian Mittendorf, Designated Professor of Accounting at the Fisher School of Business at Ohio State University and former Associate Accounting Professor at Yale School of Management. Brian's work in nonprofit organizations and other subject matters have been featured in several academic journals, including the Accounting Review, the Journal of Accounting and Economics, and others. Today's episode, we discuss the ins and outs of donor advised funds, why an individual may choose to donate to a donor advised fund instead of giving directly to a public charity, and the current tax impacts for a donor donating to a donor advised fund. Brian, thanks so much for taking the time to come on the show today. Would you be able to give our listeners a little information on your background? Sure. I I
2: currently uh, teach accounting at The Ohio State University, uh, previously at Yale University. I worked as an accountant uh, briefly at KPMG, but since then went into academia and have been studying and researching accounting in particular nonprofit organizations in recent years.
0: Awesome, awesome, and uh, you know one of the topics uh, or the topic rather we have for today was donor advised funds. Uh, A lot of our listeners, a lot of our clients often reach out to discuss donor advised funds. So just wondering if you would be able to give us kind of like a an overview of the basics of donor advised funds.
2: Sure, I I guess big picture uh, they lie somewhere in between a traditional public charity and a private foundation. Uh, I like to think of them as being miniature private foundations, though many of them are are quite big, and that they serve the role of A donor can make contributions to this organization, receive a tax deduction for the initial contribution, and then make decisions down the road as to how those funds are used. So they operate in many ways like a private foundation. They just happen to be housed within a traditional charity.
0: Got it, got it. And what is a private foundation? Oh, sure. Yeah.
2: So a, a private foundation is a charity that's established by typically a family, an individual or family, and, and also run subsequently by those individuals. And so they face additional restrictions uh, from the IRS to ensure that the, essentially that the tax deduction that they received uh, was justified, given that the organization is being run essentially by the donors.
0: Got it, got it. Why are donor advised funds, why are they so popular?
2: Yeah, so I mean, I'd say you've seen a lot of growth and and perhaps the last decade, you've seen substantial growth in donor advised funds. And, you know, I think the reason is twofold. One is we've seen kind of larger sponsors get involved in the game. Originally, it was largely community foundations who are helping pool resources for a community, perhaps individual donors who didn't have sufficient wealth to set up their own private foundation. But a community worth of donors can kind of pool those resources together. That was the traditional view of donor advised funds. And I think you've seen some of these larger commercially affiliated sponsors, like Fidelity and Schwab, Vanguard, Goldman Sachs, who have established their own donor advised funds. And they've been pretty effective at reaching out to donors and communicating the advantages.
0: So if we look at it from a purely tax perspective, and I know there's other benefits of donor-advised funds from just taxes, and I'm sure we'll get to that in just a second, but let's just say that I'm a high net worth individual and I want to go make a $50,000 contribution to, say you go make a $50,000 donation to Goodwill, I'm going to get a $50,000 tax deduction on Schedule A of my tax return. Is there anything different about the charitable contribution from a donor-advised fund rather than just giving it to some other charity? So, I mean, I guess the the big difference would
2: be it. Donor advice funds are housed within public charities. Goodwill is a public charity, so if if the ultimate goal was to give funds to Goodwill, you could give directly. They essentially a donor advice fund will serve as a a middleman, if I can, for lack of a better term, uh, in that transaction. So, I could give directly to Goodwill, or I could give to a donor advice fund and then have the donor advice fund subsequently make a gift to Goodwill. Now, the reason why you would in consider introducing this third party is, you know, one reason is it separates when you get the tax deduction from when you actually want to make those funds available for use by Goodwill. So you can put the funds into donor advised fund today, get the tax deduction today, and then make a determination down the road when you want those funds to be distributed to Goodwill. So it creates a, a timing separation between when the tax deduction arrives and when the funds arrive at the charity who makes use of them. That's one big appeal, I would say. Uh, and, and we could talk, you know, the, the other piece would be that there are large tax advantages. If you're gonna make a donation of that sort, say $50,000 donation to Goodwill, it's tax advantage to, instead of giving cash, give a, an asset that's gone up in value. And donor advised fund sponsors tend to be much better at receiving those sorts of gifts. If it's a publicly traded stock, that's kind of easy for anyone to handle. But if you're talking about appreciated assets, say cryptocurrencies or limited partnership interests, not every charity can handle
1: those. So if a donor advised fund receives one of these appreciated assets, do they then liquidate it, create cash, and then go... Contribute the cash, or do they just leave the assets on their books and then donate the asset to the goodwill type charities at some point? Typically, it would be it would be liquidated.
2: Different sponsors uh, of donor advice funds have different policies on that. Uh, you know, Fidelity Charitable is the largest in, in the country, and they do have a, a tendency to liquidate pretty quickly those assets and then invest them in something affiliated with Fidelity, something that is, you know, more liquid so that it's available to transfer to an operating charity. So ultimately what Goodwill is going to get is cash or something like it, but they can receive that initial gift and liquidate it, turn it to cash.
1: So one of the key benefits that you talked about was the timing difference of making the contribution and getting the deduction versus making it available for use for whatever charity ultimately receives the funds. So if I make a donation to a donor advised fund today and I get the tax... I'm assuming I get that tax deduction today, but I can theoretically make the money available to Goodwill at some later point. How long can I let the funds just sit in the donor-advised funds before I have to make them available to some charity?
2: Yeah, that's a good question. So the initial gift, like you said, the initial gift, if I make it to a donor-advised fund today, I can claim that as a tax deduction today. And the reason why I'm technically allowed to do that is because... Legally speaking, I've handed over the funds to that donor advised fund sponsor, the organization, the charity that's sponsoring that fund. So if I made the gift to Fidelity Charitable, technically I've transferred control to Fidelity Charitable, and that's why I can claim a tax deduction. As a practical matter, they rely on me then as the donor advisor to that fund. So I can advise them as to what to do. So it depends on the individual sponsor, what their policies would be as to how quickly it needs to be dispersed legally speaking, there is not a legal restriction that needs to go out at any particular point in time. From a legal or tax standpoint, it's already been given to a charity. The donor advice fund sponsor is a charity. Those sponsors may have policies about how quickly it needs to go out the door from them, however. But we normally think of, say, like private foundations, they have distribution requirements. They have to distribute essentially 5% of the assets every year. There are no such requirements on on donor advice funds.
1: So once you give to the Donor Advised Fund, you still have some level of control over where those funds get dispersed and when?
2: Correct. So you don't technically have legal control anymore. You have advisory privileges. Okay. But we don't have many circumstances where Donor Advised Fund sponsors have chosen to ignore the advice of the initial donor. As you might guess, I mean, their goal is to help facilitate donations. So the last thing they want to do is tell you they're not going to listen to you anymore you know, a lot of the larger commercial sponsors will have policies saying it has to be an approved 501c3 charity. Uh, so they actually will check that piece, but they don't go much beyond that. Um, there are some circumstances where you have charities that are under investigation that the sponsors will say, we will not let you make distributions to those because they're currently under investigation by authorities. But for the most part, they listen to the donors. Okay. Legally, they're not required to, but we don't have many circumstances
1: where they don't. What's in it for the sponsor? How do they make money on this? So the sponsor
2: is technically a charity. So they exist for charitable purposes. They're not necessarily making money on it. Now there is some controversy around that. You know, if if your local community foundation is serving as a sponsor, you say, Oh, what they're doing is trying to facilitate charitable giving. And this is a vehicle through which you can do it. And so really what's in it for them is to help facilitate charitable work in their community. Um, these larger commercial sponsors are affiliated with commercial entities. So Fidelity Charitable is, is affiliated with Fidelity Investments and Schwab Charitable is affiliated with Schwab. And they tend to invest the funds in investment vehicles with that affiliate. And so obviously, some fees go towards the affiliate that way. But largely, you know, what's in it for that sponsor is that sponsor is technically a charity. And so they're trying to facilitate charitable giving.
1: When when you make a contribution to a donor advised fund, are you still limited by the P's limitations? I know that those were struck from the 2017 Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. There's a potential they could come back in the future. But would you still be limited by the P's limitations if you're contributing to a donor advised fund?
2: So yeah, a gift to a donor advised fund would be treated the same as a gift to any charity for tax purposes. I say any public charity. I mean, the big distinction really is between a public charity and a private foundation, whereas private foundations, those gifts are subject to much more limitations. But a gift to Fidelity Charitable is treated the same as a gift to Goodwill or the Girl Scouts. Got it.
1: And I know that with everything... That's good. There's also some bad, right? Or some bad actors. So how do people abuse donor advised funds?
2: Well, in terms of the way they abuse them, I think the the issue there is that the jury's still out on what their consequences are. Uh, from a donor standpoint, they offer this big advantage of you can claim a tax deduction before knowing what you want to do with the funds. It creates some questions about whether these funds ever get put into use. So you get a tax deduction before the funds get put into use. And so the big questions out there are, to what extent are donors just using these as parking lots for funds? Now, the donor never gets the money back, but they're going to get tax deduction up front. And the question is, is enough being done with those funds for charitable purposes to justify it? And I think the jury's still out on that question.
1: How could I, if I use it as a parking lot for funds, is there a roundabout way where I can make that come back and benefit me somehow? Like, can I invest in my own foundation that I set up or somehow earn, you know what I'm getting to Like, how does that abuse actually happen aside from the money just kind of sitting there for a long time?
2: I mean, I think the the risk you know, of abuse is really of getting a tax deduction for something that's not benefiting a charity or benefiting society in the near term. The risks of the funds then finding their way back to the donors, much less. I'm not saying it's impossible, but um, I think the bigger risk is just you get a tax deduction today without any intention of it leading to charity in the near term is a big risk. Now there are some smaller cases where you know, one risk is if I give funds to a donor advised fund and claim a tax deduction for it, I have technically gotten the tax deduction today. I've given over the funds to a charity already. So I can't use those funds later. To satisfy a pledge that I made to a different charity, or as entry fees to a charitable event, because the donor can't get any benefits from that. And so, you know, in terms of abuse, I would say things like that probably unintentional, but there are circumstances where you, you run that risk of a donor trying to use funds in their donor advice fund to satisfy some contractual or other other requirements.
1: Could I ever call back the funds that I've parked?
2: No, so once you know, like technically, you've you've handed them over unconditionally, okay. and so you can't you can't receive them back.
1: Okay, that's good. Um, I'm trying to think yeah, of all the ways that somebody can <laughs> abuse this, you know, yeah. especially when you're parking money in a charitable uh, charitable location. We've just, we just we've seen lots of tax court cases where people have tried creative things, and so I'm just yeah, that's good though.
2: I, and I can't rule out that there's not abuses there, but I think that the larger question is one of just. Does it justify getting a tax deduction up front if you don't have an intention as to how the funds are going to be used? If it's Um, been sitting there for a while. Yeah. yeah, And there are some, it creates somewhat of a disconnect. You know, the legal or tax circumstance is you put the money in the donor advised funds, they are no longer yours. But the way that it's perceived is that they are, you know, if I'm the donor, it's my fund and I can use it as I wish. And most fund sponsors will let you use it as you wish. And so drawing that line between the donor and the fund becomes a, a bit of a challenge. And mm. so we even, there's there's a current court case of donors who sued Fidelity Charitable. They put some uh, stock that they had a substantial ownership in into a, a donor advised fund, and they sued Fidelity for unloading that stock and putting downward pressure on the price of that stock because they, of course, retained some of their own. So that's a case where they viewed it as they should retain some control and Fidelity viewed it as they didn't retain control. I mean, obviously there's lots of legal questions involved there, but, you know, kind of the big picture, the non-legal aspect of this is it just points to the blurred boundaries between the donor and the fund, and that can create some challenges. You know, another area where we may see this is you have like stocks that are about to become initial public offerings that are privately held. Where they are subject to rules, insiders can't sell them during certain periods of time. Insiders can donate them, though, and so they can get a tax deduction for them when they otherwise couldn't dispose of them. Uh, but again, those aren't really abuses as much as it creates a circumstance where it's hard to draw the line between the donor
1: and the and the fund. And I think Tom wants to ask a couple questions about the the court case um, or just the net effects of of the charitable giving but before before I let him take over I I think it's just important to highlight here that we run a, across a lot of prospective clients who will do anything to save a tax dollar and it's just important when we're talking about anything charitable to remember what the intent of the gift was it's not to go and find a tax shelter it is at the end of the day to invest in A charity and spread the wealth a little bit. Yes, you get a tax benefit by doing so. But I I like, I know that I was asking you how to abuse the system. I don't expect anybody, and maybe I should disclaim here that. I don't want you to go and abuse the system. Yeah. What, I, what I wanted to point out was that if you're going to make the donation, you need to go and place the fund somewhere. Don't just use it as a parking lot. But I'm also glad that we had that discussion because what it highlights is you can't get the money back. It's gone. So you might as well make the donation and then go and actually make the donation to whatever the end charity is at the end of the day.
2: Yeah, I think that's a good point. And you know, for the most part, as long as as tax rates, marginal tax rates aren't above 50%, there's really no reason to do this just for tax reasons. Now, what the donor advised fund offers to a donor is an ability to get some additional tax benefits for doing this charitable act. But it's hard to come up with circumstances where you would do it solely for tax purposes. But there are tax advantages to doing it if you are going to seek to um, give.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And just to be clear, because as I was listening listening along here, it sounds like, you know, people aren't, the, the average person isn't going to actually create a donor advised fund. Rather, what they're going to do is going to make a charitable contribution to a donor advised fund.
2: Correct. And, you know, really, that's one of the big advantages. If you want to have your own private foundation, you have to start a private foundation and do all of the administrative upkeep that's required. If you want to start a donor advised fund, there's an organization, which is a sponsor, which will start a donor advised fund on your behalf that you just, all you do is put resources in it. And so I like to think of it as a miniature private foundation in that sense. It's, uh, you have the upside of having a private foundation. You can set up your own fund, put resources in it, distribute the resources when you choose, but you don't actually do it. It's a sponsor. A sponsoring organization is the one that does it, uh, on your behalf.
0: That makes a lot of sense. Um. At this point, like, the only last few questions I have left is, would you know what the, the net effect of investing, not investing, contributing to the donor advised fund is on total charitable giving at this point, I guess, in the, in the bigger picture of things? How, what role does donor advised funds play? I don't want to say like this, what market share, <laughs> what market mm-hmm. shares donor advised funds have on overall charitable giving? So...
2: Part of that uh, question, we don't really know the answer to yet. Um, uh, increasing share of giving is happening through donor advised funds. I think the piece we don't have a good answer for is what would have happened if we didn't have them? Would that giving have gone elsewhere or would that not giving not have happened? And people have different views about that. And I just don't know if we have a complete answer. But in terms of the overall market share, yeah, an increasing share of donations are flowing through donor advised funds. Uh, just a few years ago, for the first time ever, United Way had been supplanted as the top charity in the U.S. in terms of donations. Uh, Fidelity Charitable took over. And you see in the top 10, top 20, you have multiple donor advised fund sponsors in that. So it is playing an increasing role in charitable giving. It's sort of the revolution in charity that no one has noticed. It's It's a substantial revolution, but it doesn't make the headlines, I guess. So yes, an increasing part of charitable giving. You know, the second piece I would mention about that, and I know we already, we talked about this briefly, you know, one reason why these donor advised fund sponsors have been very effective is they have connected to this notion of the tax benefit of giving appreciated assets is substantial. And they've specialized in receiving appreciated assets and disposing of those assets, which might otherwise be hard to dispose of. So if you look at the largest donor-advised fund sponsors like Fidelity or Schwab, typically around two-thirds of the contributions they receive are not cash, they're assets. And it's because they've done a really good job of communicating to donors their ability of receiving them and the advantages of donors of making those gifts.
0: Got it. So donor advice funds helps facilitate basically the gift of appreciated assets and not just cash. Whereas, you know, I think you might've mentioned it before that if some charities just won't accept, you know, appreciated assets. They'll only accept cash.
2: Yeah. And you, you know, of some circumstances, and I don't know how widespread this is though, of donors who say a donor has ownership in a limited partnership and goes to their local church and says, I want to make a donation to you. And they the church says, we, we really don't know what to do with this. Or we want to give you cryptocurrency. And the, the church says, I don't know how to handle that. But what I would suggest that you do is give those funds to a donor advised fund. They will convert it to cash and then you can have them distribute it to me. So the one role they play is the ability to accept donations of things which are not easily liquidated.
0: Makes a lot of sense. And I, I guess just last handful of questions I have, and this might be a totally different topic, but how how does a donor advised fund compare to say a charitable remainder trust, or are they really just two sep- totally separate vehicles entirely? So I would say, I guess I would say separate vehicles, though
2: they might be established for similar reasons. I mean, the big question is, when do you get the tax benefit? If you set up a trust and it's an irrevocable trust, you can claim a tax benefit early on. A donor-advised fund is not going to have some of the stipulations about how the funds are used. That's going to be up to the discretion of the donor advisor down the road. So it's just, I put it in. I don't know what I'm going to use it for or when, but I'm going to put it in today. And so, yeah, I would view you know the reasons for going down those two paths are very, very different um, other than the desire to make a charitable impact and claim a tax deduction up front. All right.
0: Um, so... Is there anything else we should know about donor advised funds that, you know, we haven't already asked about? Well, you know, I, I mean, I'm i I'm thinking a bit about some of the controversy surrounding them. So a,
2: as of today, there are no changes to how they're treated, but there's an increasing number of controversy surrounding donor advised funds, which I think are worth keeping an eye on to whether there's additional regulatory efforts. You know, one thing is this question of they're not required to distribute. Once the money goes into a donor advised fund, there is no legal requirement that the funds when the funds go out. I mean, when they go out, they have to go to a charity, but there's no requirement that they be paid out. There's been several efforts over the years to create uh, either at the state level or at the national level to have legal remedies to that, to essentially force donor advised funds to pay out over a period of time, much like private foundations have to pay out 5% a year, uh, forcing donor advised funds to pay out over a shorter time horizon the second area i think that which we haven't discussed which is certainly uh, an area of contention for some uh, some cases is that if i'm a very wealthy donor and i set up a private foundation uh, there's lots of disclosure requirements there they have to disclose what sort of assets they have who's giving those assets where they're going uh, a donor advised funds a bit more of a black box so you know one concern that's been been raised is that people will use donor advised funds essentially to anonymize who that donor was. We can't figure out who the donor was to a donor advised fund. And we can't figure out of the funds received from the ultimate charity, where they came from. We as the general public. And so the ability to anonymize giving through a vehicle like this is something I think that will be watched quite a bit as well. Um, we, We have several examples of, particularly in Silicon Valley, of donors who have their own private foundations who make distributions to a donor advised fund and the Donor advised Fund presumably is giving it to another charity, but essentially to anonymize who that donor was along the path. And so the question of transparency is going to be another one that's going to come up.
1: Why why is giving anonymously a bad thing? Well, it's a great question. Potentially a bad thing. It's a great question.
2: I think there's a lot of debate about that, whether giving anonymously is something we should value or whether very, very large gift donor should be made known to the public. And it's an open question, I think. The, the one catch is that we do have those sorts of rules in place for private foundations. And those rules don't exist for donor advice funds about such disclosures. And so it, it's, you know, Brandon, to your point, I think it's it's a broader question we might have about charitable giving and how much we value donor anonymity.
0: Makes a lot of sense. So if our listeners wanted to learn more about you learn more about donor advised funds and the work that you do what would be the best way for them to do so
2: uh probably uh, you can follow me on twitter at Counting charity uh so i tend to tweet out uh any of the work that i'm doing i probably will tweet out about it uh but i also you know I, i do research through ohio state um but that's probably the easiest way to find me
0: awesome so yeah, we want to thank you for coming on the show today. Learned a ton about donor advised funds, it really cleared up what they meant, what they are and what you know, kind of the do's and don'ts around those, uh, at least for me. And I hope it does for a lot of our listeners here. And uh, again, want to thank you for coming on the show. All right. Thanks so much for having me.
1: Thanks for listening to today's show. If you enjoyed the show, please find us on iTunes and leave us a review. You can also email us at contact at therealestatecpa.com with any feedback or topic suggestions. We are always taking on new clients and with the new tax laws in play, you really don't want to navigate this alone. Let us help you save money on taxes and with your accounting and CFO needs. To become a client, navigate to our client page at realestatecpa.com and fill out a web form with as much detail about your situation as possible. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great rest of your week.